Welcome to the ACAS podcast. I'm Chow Doan and today we will be discussing how we can support the LGBTI plus community within the workplace. I'm joined today by Lucy Garvin, Deputy Chair of the ACAS LGBTI plus and Allies Staff Network, Tom Price, who is the Senior Leader Champion for the LGBTI plus and Allies Staff Network, and Emma Dunn, Chair of Agender, the cross-government network supporting trans and intersex staff across government. Thank you everyone for joining me today. Hello. Hello. Hi Chow. So with many Pride events and activities being either cancelled or postponed this year due to the coronavirus pandemic, today we will be talking about how employers and organisations can support and celebrate their LGBTI plus staff at work during this challenging and unprecedented time. And also what steps they can take to make themselves a more diverse and inclusive workplace, especially employers who might have little experience or resources to do so. Although the LGBTI plus community has come a long way in terms of gaining equal rights, especially in the workplace, we know that there is still a further way to go. So let me start off first by asking, in terms of individuals who identify themselves as trans, what can employers do to support any staff who might be transitioning or have transitioned? Emma. How could they make sure that an individual's confidentiality is protected during that period of time? Well, uh, the legislation exists, the Gender Recognition Act, that actually says that it is an offence for somebody who has, in the course of their official uh, duties, come to a, a recognising an, or an understanding of somebody else as being transgender. It's actually an offence to, to, um, to disclose that information to a third party. So it's really important that that is understood throughout all organisations. They, you know, people have to, to understand that you know somebody's gender history somebody's status as having a, a transgender past or, or their, their you know their intention to undergo transition is an intensely personal thing and it's not just about the personal nature of the of who they are at their core it's about you know trans people always get asked and intersex people always get asked those really kind of icky personal questions and it's sort of things about you know what surgeries they might want or you know what their genitals are and, and it, that sort of stuff is really really inappropriate so where managers can create an environment and demonstrate an understanding of the need to have those really kinds of completely confidential conversations and also the kind of conversations where the manager isn't squirming and they're not being embarrassed about the kind of information that, that might be being disclosed to them that can be hugely beneficial in helping trans people to be themselves and to actually be honest about uh, about what they might need in terms of support in the workplace yeah confidentiality really is key so it's about creating a confident and secure environment for their staff to come out for that have you seen any examples of that within any companies or organizations at all well, absolutely. I mean, uh, for my own in my own circumstances. So I, I work for uh, the civil service, and within my own agency, obviously I was. So I'm intersex, and I I was diagnosed as intersex. Well, I was diagnosed age 14 actually, but the the diagnosis was withheld from me, and I I didn't come to an understanding of myself being intersex, or I didn't I didn't have confirmation from a, from a medical specialist that I was intersex until I was in my early 20s, and at that stage I was already a, a civil servant. And for many, many years, I carried a great deal of shame and stigma. And it wasn't until I actually had a line manager who who demonstrated their inclusive values, who demonstrated their understanding of the need for confidentiality, that I felt able to actually come out and be open about who I was and what my circumstances were. 
And that was just a huge relief for me. And what that did was it, it really enabled me to actually give much, much more in terms of my commitment to that organisation because I wasn't expending all of that mental time and energy hiding who I was and, and what I was going through. I could actually be really open and honest. And my manager was able to respond to that. So on days where I had, you know, really bad reactions to the hormones that I was taking, my manager said that I could have a laptop so that I could work from home. And, and you know, these were this was back in the days when we didn't all have laptops and we weren't all working from home. So that was a huge benefit to me. And it meant that, you know, my sick record improved. I was able to contribute more to my team. You know, that kind of thing was really, really helpful and I knew that I was in safe hands with that manager I knew that other people who might show a kind of prurient interest in what might be the circumstances behind why I might be working from home that manager was going to be really clear and explicit that it was nobody else's business it was it was between me and them and they knew what was happening and and that was that was good enough so having that real confidence I think as a manager that you can support that person really helps so would you say that the great situation would be to build that great element of trust between employers and also their LGBTI plus staff to create that open anonymous environment for them to be in, but also to have them potentially come to their employers with any problems or concerns they might have? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Building trust is really and it's a, it, we talk about it like it's a really simple thing, but it, of course, it's a, an incredibly complicated process it's not something that can be done overnight and it is I think for me about kind of really being clear about what your values are as an organization and as a manager and living that role modeling that demonstrating that so that people can really see you're not just talking the talk you're walking the walk and where you're doing that people will open up to you they will tell you what you need to hear about the circumstances that they're going through or the issues that they're facing you know if they are experiencing bullying harassment discrimination they will feel much more confident in, com in in kind of surfacing those tensions telling you what the issues are so yeah you know walk the walk if you're a manager if you're an organization walk the walk and show people that you care about them Evans mentioned about the challenges and difficulties that trans and intersex staff might be facing so Lucy can I ask you what are the other challenges that LGBTI plus staff might be facing in the workplace as well I guess there's the discrimination side of things uh, which is perhaps the more extreme side so individuals might be discriminated against because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity there's perhaps more subtler side of things and um, challenges that lgbti plus people might face as well and that's perhaps um the challenge of, of whether they're out or not uh, and when if somebody isn't out at work then that can that can affect them in lots of different ways. It might affect their mental well-being, uh, and that might have a knock-on effect for their productivity as well, because they feel perhaps that they're um, they're constantly trying to hide something about themselves that's really important. So maybe not being able to bring their full selves to work can have a big impact as well. So if that's the case, then what would you say to someone who would like to encourage that open and honest conversation with their staff then if they're having difficulties to encourage their staff to do so yeah it's a good question i think having having good policies having clear policies that are inclusive of everybody using inclusive language um something that speaks to everybody gender neutral language can be super helpful so what i mean by that is acas for example with our policies uh, we've worked through them to to make sure that they're gender neutral and we use kind of members of staff, the employee, the manager, they, them, 
perhaps rather than using she, her or he, him, talking about members of staff or members of, of management, for example. Training is also really important to making sure everybody feels included in the workplace uh, and, and can be their true selves. And this is training on inclusivity and diversity. And it's kind of regular training as well. So it's not necessarily just a tick box exercise. It's, it's doing very training regularly can kind of help those those folks feel able to be themselves at work. Thanks, Lucy. You've mentioned about policies and training that employers can put into place to help their staff. And Tom, I know you're the senior leader champion for the LGBTI plus and ally staff network. What would be the benefit for an organisation to step up a network if they haven't done so already? Well, I think one of the principal benefits is effectively making sure that your colleagues feel they have a voice and that the organisation is listening to them. I mean, uh, Lucy's mentioned the importance of uh, taking action. I think that's that's really important. I think it's really important that organisations take action, listen to staff and take action, even if it's not even if it's not about, um, you know, uh, issues on the scale of inappropriate behaviour. You know, it's great to have a strong organisational narrative around inclusion, but to be effective, it, it really has to lead to action. Um, and a staff network is a great way of, of prompting an organisation to, to change things and to do things differently, to, to explore different ways of doing things that, that really support LGBTI plus staff. What would you say to an organisation who feels that they don't need to set up an LGBTI plus staff network? So if they felt that they're already inclusive already, or if they believe that they don't have any LGBTI staff in their workplace? I mean, I, I think I'd, I'd really, I think I'd challenge them to think about about whether or not they really are listening to their staff. I mean, I, I think it's easy for people to to kind of assume that they have a good relationship with their staff, that they have open conversations in the workplace. But I, I think that a lot of people from, you know, straight cisgender backgrounds like, like me can really struggle to get to grips sometimes with the issues that are, are, are tremendously important to those staff. And actually creating a network so that you can you can have a space where people can, can tell you about their experiences, can tell you about the challenges they face in the, the, the workplace, can be a, a really helpful way of, of expanding that conversation and, and building kind of, you know, relationships of, I guess, of trust, consistency and accountability, effectively the cornerstones of effective allyship. Yeah, I, I, would, I would strongly encourage organisations to set up, to explore setting up staff networks um, if they can. So if they don't have a network set up already, as such, so for example, if there are small organisations just started out, how would they be able to go about that? Lucy? Yeah, a good place to start is finding enthusiastic volunteers. Um, so there may be somebody in the workplace they might not necessarily identify as LGBTI plus. Uh, they may be an ally, an enthusiastic ally who wants to, to take some steps to set up a network or a community, get buy-in from the top of the organisation, even a small organisation. If it's supported right at the top of management, then it can it can really help that community and network start up properly and kind of investing in those volunteers. So if, if senior management or management at any level can give time to those individuals uh, or that person to make sure that they can set it up fully and they've got time maybe away from their day-to-day -day work, even just a little bit of time away from their day-to-day -day work to do that, that can be really, really helpful. Thanks, Lucy. We know that staff networks can provide a lot of support and help, and some of the things that they do include setting up events and activities for their members. I'm wondering, 
With the impact of the pandemic and with many in-person events such as LGBTI Plus History Month and Pride being either cancelled or postponed this year, what are the things that you're doing, Emma, in your own organisation to celebrate instead? Thanks, Chow. Yeah, we found that the lack of sort of physical in-person Pride events has actually had a really significant um, impact on our members who really tell us how much they value the the opportunity to actually go out and be in a safe space with other people like them, to be outside, to be proud of who they are, to be open, to be vocal. So yeah, they've really struggled with the lack of actual physical in-person events. Uh, One of the things that our network has done in collaboration with the Civil Service LGBT Plus Network is that we have set a series of Pride events online so that people can still feel that they have those connections to each other and they can still celebrate who they are and they can still have those conversations with other people who recognise the issues where they, they don't have to stop from, you know, square one explaining what's going on. And something that we've done specifically within Agenda and this was this was as a result of the of the pandemic hitting is that we actually introduced at that stage an online social meeting. So every Thursday night we all gather together. Uh, we have a uh, we have in jokes. We have a, a, a silly quiz. Uh, we give out prizes and it's just an hour of, of nonsense. We, we The rule is that you get uh, bonus points if you appear on camera with a pet or a child and you uh, you have to have a quarantini which is a which is a, an alcoholic or a non-alcoholic drink maybe whatever you have in your cupboard uh, in lockdown and we just have an hour actually just celebrating each other making those connections and obviously over pride you know that that we've had rainbow themed quizzes we've got people dressing up we've had pride specific quizzes so that's been a really huge bonus for our members in that it has still given them the opportunity to kind of celebrate themselves, celebrate who they are, meet with other people who are like them. And, and it's really benefited their mental health. So I think for organisations, you know, recognize, leverage the power of, you know, hybrid working. If, if everybody in your organisation is able to access online video conferencing, think about giving them the time um, and giving them the resources to put on events like that, because it really can help people, you know, their, their mental health and their well-being to feel connected to each other, especially during Pride. Would you say that by doing it continually, as such, so rather than just doing a one-off event for Pride, it would be a benefit to organisations to support their LGBTI plus networks going forward? Absolutely, 100%. I think it took a pandemic for us to realise the power of holding those meetings and as I say when we've when we've gone through you know Christmas and we've gone through Easter and we've gone through Pride and we've had you know we've had all sorts of themed events throughout the year and it took that for us to realise actually how powerful that was and how necessary it was and how it shouldn't and it can't just be a one-off thing and we're really lucky a lot of our members tell us that their workplaces actually regard this as being so important to their mental health that they're actually allowed to attend that hours meeting each week on the clock you know they, they're actually it can be considered to be part of their working day but yeah where where organizations can actually set something like that up and actually give people the time to attend and give people the resources to attend the, the payoff is just, you know, threefold, fourfold. It's incredible. Emma's just mentioned about the mental health of LGBTI plus staff. So, Lucy, 
if someone is struggling with their mental health, what access to support can they go to? Or is there something that the employer could refer them to to help with that? Employers, large and small, I mean, the individual might be might be best place to have a chat with their own GP, their own doctor might be able to help and signpost as well if, if they're struggling. And sometimes talking to a professional can be really, really helpful. But there, there's lots of organisations out there that can provide mental health support. Employers might also have an employee assistance programme, um, which may have access to a helpline that may allow them to kind of call up any time of the day, any day of the year and have a conversation who's with somebody who's professionally trained. Again, it might be an area where staff networks can can assist as well. A staff network may have some really good ties and links up with, with local organisations or national organisations. And an individual who might be struggling, you know, it's another benefit of having a network or a community within the workplace, you know, having somewhere that people can go to and say, look, I'm, I'm struggling, not for them to give the professional help, but a signpost, a, a place somebody feels comfortable to go, oh, I think I need a little bit of help at the moment. Do you know anybody? And the network can can perhaps provide that signpost on as well. Um, ACAS also has that's a really good example. We've got mental health first aiders, individuals who have been trained to deal with kind of immediate issues as well as the signposting on and longer term options for people who might be struggling. So kind of invest in that training for your people, no matter how big you are, whether you're a large employer or a small employer, whether it's one person or several people in different offices, when folks know that there is somebody there that they can turn to, not just maybe a line manager or a colleague, that can be really beneficial as well. Tom, in terms of getting senior leaders on board with supporting their LGBTI plus staff, so if there is an allies staff network for them to join, how can they encourage the senior leaders to do that? So if they're actually hesitant to do so. Well, I think I think the key thing um, and the, the sort of the theme through, I guess, my contribution to the, the, the podcast is, is really around action and, and people being seen to take action. And I think that's one of the, the perhaps the principal motivations for senior leaders to join a, a staff network is is that that it's it's demonstrating that they are not just paying lip service to the need for diversity and inclusion within their organizations that they are committed to ensuring that they are part of those those open conversations that a staff network fosters and i, I think that that a staff network can be a great way of of learning you know i think that if you're particularly with lgbti plus colleagues if you're if you're straight if you're cisgender actually taking some time to to listen to the experiences of of the members of a staff network and to learn from them and to understand what challenges they face uh, in the workplace can be tremendously beneficial. And I think that, yeah, absolutely, that would be a a huge benefit for any member of a senior leadership team who is thinking about joining the network. Would you say then, even if someone doesn't identify themselves as part of the LGBTI plus community, it would still be a benefit for them to join an, an allies network? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm a, as I said before, I'm a straight cisgender man, but I volunteered to be the senior champion because I firmly believe that ensuring our LGBTI plus colleagues feel valued and able to be their full selves at work is the responsibility of everyone in an organisation. It, it's not just something that falls to members of the LGBTI plus community. And it's really important that senior leaders role model that, that they understand how they can aspire to be an effective ally and that they, you know, that they show other people 
people in the organization that this is this is something that's personally important to them. You know, I, I think that it's been I found it tremendously rewarding. I think that I have um, had the opportunity to interact with some some amazing colleagues, some some really incredible colleagues who have a whole world of, of kind of experience to, that, that they've been kind enough to share with me. I think that yeah, learning to be an effective ally has been a has been a real journey for me. I mean, to be honest, I, I think that I'd participated in conversations about allyship. I've been to training sessions, but until I started in the role as as the the senior champion, I, I guess I've I've really had to learn how to try and practice that allyship, how to how to really aspire to be that effective ally. Um, and I, I think fundamentally, you know, one thing I'm I'm really committed to is driving positive change in the organisation and being able to do that on behalf of the LGBTI plus network, being able to effectively amplify their voices you know to use my privilege on their behalf is i mean fundamentally it's it's got to be a good thing to do it's it's the right thing to do if someone is listening to this podcast today what's the one thing they should start doing say for example tomorrow if they wish to include an lgbti plus community within their organization or if they wish to support that I, you know, I, I think the idea of setting of, of of seeing whether or not there's interest in setting up a staff network is is a really powerful one. I mean, you know, critically, I think the important thing is is listening to your staff, finding a way of listening to your staff, and when they tell you things, take action. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I was just going to say the first thing I think you need to do is find your staff, find where they are. The second thing you need to do is talk to them, have a conversation with them. And as Thomas said, listen, listen to them and take action on what they're telling you. If you really want to be an effective ally, you can't do that in a vacuum. You can't do that. You can't make assumptions about what might be an issue in your organisation or what might what your community might need. You're, you're going to have to have those conversations and where you have them. Trust me, they'll tell you and you can act on that. It's a it's a really helpful thing to, to kind of to have that engagement with your staff. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Tom and, Tom and Emma has said. I think, you know, if you're an employer and you're interested in setting up a network or a community in your workplace and you're not sure where to start, yeah, listen to people. Find who your people are and capitalise on them, you know, really invest in them and give them time. But I guess as an employer, if you're not sure where to start, do a bit of research. Google's your friend. Find other workplaces if you've got you know contacts with with other people in a similar line of industry as you get on the phone have a chat with them see if they've got anything similar and what they've learned from it and how they set it up in the early days um you may have you may be a member of like the chamber of commerce uh you may be part of a uh, an employer group um reach out to them ask questions do your own research as well as trying to find those individuals and, and start listening to those people and what they want and what they need Fantastic. It's been wonderful listening to all your insights, advice and top tips on how organisations and employers can support their LGBTI plus communities at work. I'd just like to say thank you for everyone for joining us today. Thanks, Chow. Thanks, Chow. Thanks, Chow. This has been the ACAS podcast. You can find out more information about supporting the LGBTI plus community at work on our website at acas.org.uk, including research, guidance, blogs and policy templates and we have all the links in the episode notes. If you require more specialist and individual support then we have a fantastic range of expert advisors who can provide bespoke work to cater to your needs so please do get in touch. Contact details and information for this service is also included in the episode notes. Thank you for listening.